I don't know if Lou Rowe sees it this way, but I think JMU fans feel it's good to have the defending national champions on the schedule. Welcome in. Today's Tuesday, June 25th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, Jamie Football Beat Writer at the Paper, and today going to be joined by Shane Metlin right off the bat, JMU Hoops Writer, uh, who broke a big story uh, this past weekend just in terms of JMU basketball. And and I think we'll, we'll get to some other JMU notes, some, some college sports notes a little bit later on, but it's appropriate because... According to Shane, uh, JMU and the Virginia Cavaliers have agreed to a two-for-one, which will send the Dukes to Charlottesville this coming season and bring UVA back to Harrisonburg uh, the following year and then another game in Charlottesville at a later date. So Shane, I'll kind of just start with this. What was your reaction when not only heard this was in the works, but that it was going to happen? Um. Similar to what you said, I mean, it's going to be something that'll generate a little excitement. It works out that, you know, they're going to play at UVA this year, um, which will not be the same team as the uh, team that just won a national championship. So, you know, maybe they have a chance to be competitive this one. But the, I think the big thing that everybody's kind of looking forward to is the return game to Harrisonburg, where, you know, not only do you get, you know, the premier program, really in the ACC right now, or one of the premier programs in the ACC, definitely in this state, um, an in-state rival. You get them to come in for potentially the opening game, if not one of the first few games in a brand new arena at JMU. Um, that's going to be a really fun, exciting event, you know, kind of regardless of anything else that happens between the schools, the teams. In the meantime, JMU... UVA playing in Harrisonburg, playing in a brand new arena is going to be something that people are going to have a lot of fun with around here. Yeah, I, I think so. And that's something that kind of we've talked about in the past is who the heck is, is JMU going to bring into this new beautiful arena that they have that, you know, whether they have a winning year or not this this coming season, they're going to still need a, an opposing couple of teams to, to come in and make the place feel like it's a marquee basketball arena. Bringing in Virginia certainly does that. Not only is Virginia an in-state you know, opponent and, and a great team. Uh, they're one of the premier programs nationally. So that'll give that feel. And, and it kind of reminded me what Elon did uh, this past season when they brought UNC to their new facility. I, I don't know if that's something CA teams have done, but I know it's something you've looked at too. Yeah, Elon did the same thing. They got uh, UNC to come play their opener in the new Char Center this year, which is, um, I've heard, I haven't been down there yet. I've heard that's an extremely nice building. Um going to be pretty similar to what JMU is going to open up. It's a little bit smaller. It seats about 5,000. So they were able to, you know, really pack that thing in for a UNC game. Um, they took it on the chin from the Tar Heels, as, you know, might be expected. But they did it in front of a full house and, uh, you know, got their fans and donors in there to see what they're working with with the facilities at this point and everything, which is what JMU, I think, also wants to do. And like I said, we talked about who they might get, whether they'd be able to get a UVA or a Virginia Tech. Um, I think UVA is kind of in a position where right now they don't necessarily have to worry too much about who they play and where their program is solid enough shape that, you know, they're not afraid to play anybody anywhere. Whereas, you know, you look at maybe like a Virginia Tech right now going through a coaching transition this year they're going to be a little bit down i could understand why maybe they might say like oh we don't necessarily want to go play an in-state mid-major on their court and you know especially their women's team just kind of went through that going in front of an absolutely juiced building at the convocation center in the wnit so you know this i think it kind of works out for everybody involved that you know uva gets in here they tony bennett since he got to uva he's you know, gone and played. He, he brought team to the Convocation Center in 2014. They've gone and played at UNC Greensboro, George Washington. You know, they'll go play at mid-majors, especially early in the season. So, you know, they're continuing that trend of getting some road games in there, and uh, it's obviously going to be huge for JMU. Well, I'm, I'm sure for UVA, too, that if JMU can be competitive enough where it's not a terrible game for them and the fact that they're going to be – kind of ushering in this this new venue possibly, uh, whether it's the opening game or, you know, game four, five, three, whatever. Uh, it, it's it's not a negative for them because I'm sure they'll they'll have fans come over the mountain uh, and come watch JMU UVA, correct? 
Yeah, or, you know, season ticket holders have to donate a ton of money at UVA these days to get, you know, good seats. Maybe some people can, you know, get in early as soon as things are, you know, on sale at the uh, Atlantic Union Bank Center. Um, you know, it's not a far drive if you're a UVA fan in the Valley. It's not a far drive over to Charlottesville to catch a game, whereas, you know, if they're playing... You know, they do kind of a service to some of their alumni in D.C. if they play at George Washington. Right. But, you know, so it's maybe not quite the same thing for them. But it is a game, you know, in-state in a different part of the state for them where they have fans. JMU has fans. Everybody's going to be excited about this matchup. And, you know, from a JMU perspective, if everything works out and there's no big shakeups, they're going to have a senior-led team the year after this one to, you know, give them their best shot with and, you know, see how that happens. And that, that's that's kind of what JMU has to hope for is that this year is a incremental step forward uh, so, that, so that there is positive momentum uh, going into the new building. As far as just from the, the pure basketball standpoint too, what's this mean for, for JMU, a program that hasn't played a high major team in a couple of years. The last one they did was Florida when they went down to Gainesville two seasons ago. Uh, what's what's that do for Lewis Rowan Company? Well, I mean, you get more exposure that way. Um, you're playing against a team that just won a national championship. So everything that UVA does is going to be news on a national level. And you kind of ride the coattails in that way. Um, you got nothing to lose from a basketball standpoint. I mean... Towson went to UVA to open last season and got hammered by 30 points. And No shame in yeah, that. And, you know, that game's over and you move on. You go and you play well, then it's something you can build on. And, you know, like I said, you get them back in Harrisonburg the next year, which the way the roster is lining up should be one of JMU's best and most experienced teams they've had in a long time. Um, you know, a lot of things can happen in the next two years, year and a half. But... You know, that's definitely a possibility. And, you know, they went down to Florida, like you mentioned, you know, Lou Rose, other alma mater at Florida, went down and played that game. Um, and, you know, they played competitive against Florida down there. Um, so, you know, maybe they can give, you know, another really good team a good game. And if you do that, you can build some confidence from it. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about that what's kind of the rest of their non-conference schedule looking like at this point? If if you know anything to 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 be to be said right now, I don't, I don't know a whole lot. I mean, I imagine it'll be fairly similar to uh, some past years. I think they'll probably continue the kind of old rivalry against East Carolina. Um, you know, get some of those games you know on the schedule again. I don't think they're going to play a extremely difficult schedule, but I think this particular matchup was one that. Uh, from an athletic department standpoint, they really needed to uh, set up. They, they will be back at um, Old Dominion this year. Um, they're playing on the road at ODU again after going there last year. You said a lot of the road games are on purpose, though, so that these teams come back and, and help 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 usher in the, the Atlantic Union Bank and Trust Center. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's set in stone yet, but the idea is that the ODU return game will be they're playing two years in a row at ODU, which is kind of, you know, tough on these guys who are on the team right. going down there playing a solid program, a rivalry. You know, ODU fans get, you know, pretty fired up to play JMU. Um, so that's a tough road game to play two years in a row before you get to return. Um, but they got a two-for-one deal with ODU, too, which I found interesting considering these teams were in a conference together not too long They're ago. They're both mid-major programs. And yeah, but... Um, you know, JMU, for, to some degree, is trying to make some money however they can, and they're getting paid pretty handsomely. It's about a $70,000 pay day to uh, go down there and play that road game, um, which is, you know, on par with what you get paid to go play at a you know, place like Virginia Tech. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, going to be big for them to play ODU. It'll be an exciting game, but, you know, you're looking ahead. You're looking at, an off season or a, you know a non conference season when that arena opens up you're going to have a big rivalry in J in um, UVA you're going to have a rivalry in ODU um, I would 
think it's quite possible George Mason might be a home game because they played several road games up there, and that series has been kind of uneven with the road versus home games. Um, so the goal is to have a heavy home schedule when that that in that first year of the new arena. Yeah, not just have and not just have teams coming into play, but teams that JMU fans are going to want to come see and you know are going to be fired up to watch and you know some of these old rivalries or you know um, an ACC team like UVA even if they've never. Been in the same conference like some of those other teams. Yeah, for sure. What's what's UVA going to look like this year? I obviously know last week's NBA draft uh, to hurt him a little bit. Uh, DeAndre Hunter going to the Lakers, and Ty Jerome drafted. Kyle Guy drafted. Uh, what's this UVA team going to look like when when they when JMU goes to Charlottesville? This I mean, year? it's not going to be the same UVA team that last year won a national championship. That, that's obvious, but there's going to be some. Uh, Guys that can really play, you know, Mamadi Diakite put his name in the NBA draft and ended up, you know, doing some workouts and stuff and coming back to school. Um, a guy like Braxton Key, I think, will kind of have the freedom to do a little bit more because he's such a similar player. Not as good as DeAndre Hunter, but a similar kind of player. So maybe he'll have some freedom to do a little bit more. Um, you know, they, they, they'll have guys, again, um, you know... Uh, the the little guy, <laughs> darling, complete blank on his name right. You got time to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that game's not until yeah, uh, not until this this coming season. You got you got time yeah, to figure they, it out. They've got some guys back, so they'll they'll be good, and they're obviously going to be an extremely well coached team like they well, always yeah. are. So um, they'll be good. They'll be you know I'd say in the top tier of the ACC again. Yeah, I would I, w- I would think so. It's it's interesting though, and positive for for JMU on the basketball standpoint. I did want to ask you before we get into some other stuff. Uh, recruiting for for JMU basketball, what's that like right now? I know uh, you were at, a, at an event this past weekend, too. Uh, what's kind of been going on on the recruiting front? Yeah, I mean, the big difference in recruiting this year is the change in the uh, NCAA calendar where it's high school teams playing in these tournaments and events in June rather than AAU teams. AAU teams. And so uh, you're seeing guys in a little bit different um, environment, a little more coached. Um, and then over at Blue Ridge School, you know, just over the mountain in Greene County, you know, they were um, there was uh, 20 private school teams from North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, even one came down from New York area to play in this tournament. And um, several guys with JMU offers were playing in there. Um, a couple guys from Blue Ridge School themselves, Davidson Day School had a couple guys that um, who That's down Charlotte, high. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah um, JMU's pretty high on a few of those guys and, you know, wound up offering some other kids that they saw playing there. Um, uh, some young guys, uh, a rising sophomore named Justin Taylor from St. Anne's Belfield over in Charlottesville, um, who's, you know, son of JMU alum, is, from what I've been told, was very excited to get that offer. He may end up with some bigger schools offering down the line, but um, it sounds like, you know, he was very excited, and his family was very excited to uh, get the JMU offer so early. So we'll see how that turns out. Ah, it's, it's interesting uh, for sure. want to switch gears a little bit now, though. Talk something that I wrote about in today's paper on the football side. But we, we can talk about it from a football and basketball standpoint because you obviously work on the basketball side. I work on the football side. Is the, the transfer portal. It's, it's something we've touched on in the past. Just about how coaches view it and how each sport – uses it differently. I know in my story, it was very clear. As successful as it's been for football programs in the Colonial, coaches aren't aren't the portal's biggest fan. Uh, you're talking about 33 uh, transfer athletes to date have either been added to CA rosters or have committed uh, to CA programs. And you still have coaches that that are on the fence about this transfer portal. And on the fence is probably putting it lightly. Uh, I, I had coaches basically say, you know, I, I don't like it. We have to use it because it's it's the way the times are. But really not a big fan of it. What's the view of it on the basketball side from the coaches? Um, you know, it's probably maybe not quite as big a deal because you're managing a roster of 13 scholarship players as opposed to you know, 60 to 80, depending on what level of uh, Division One football you're at you know so you know maybe it's not quite you know your story where they said they had to devote somebody full-time to managing that it's not quite the same degree to basketball for the coaches um but you know i think anytime 
something maybe makes the coach's job a little bit more difficult or time-consuming, they're not going to be a huge fan of it. Whereas for the players, it's something that gives them a little more freedom to explore their options and know exactly where they stand on things. So, you know, you can kind of see both sides to that from a standpoint for the players. I think it's a good thing just because, you know, players don't have as much freedom in general. Whereas, you know, the coaches coaches are free to move. Whenever. Wherever they can. The staffs can change under the players' feet at any time. And, you know, other situations can, you know, happen, whether it's an academic situation, a family situation, whatever. Um, you know, so I think giving players a little bit more freedom in general is a good thing just from a you know, philosophical standpoint. But I can understand the hesitance to kind of just open it up and see what happens here. And it's kind of all new and kind of learning how to deal with everything from a coaching standpoint, whether it's guys coming in or leaving and how you look at who's available and what your needs might be depending on who leaves when. It, it's a different ball game than it was just, you know, less than a year ago. Yeah, this was Stony Brook football coach Chuck Priori. Uh, JMU fans know him well at this point. Uh, haven't played against Stony Brook the past couple of years. Uh, this is Chuck Priori on on the transfer portal and and why he's had to devote a full-time guy to it. I guess the part that I don't like is we had to dedicate a full-time, which we fortunate, but I had to dedicate a full-time person just to manage it. <laughs> wow. Um, and um, be able to be successful at it. And um, I think there's some repercussions that can happen from it in a, in a negative way. We haven't lost players because of it, personally. Mm-hmm. Um so that's a good part, but I think when it's all said and done, uh, you know, it was developed for the kids. I don't think it's really reaching the correct goal for the kids. And a lot of kids went up there thinking they were going to find something, and a lot of kids haven't found anything, mm. and they lost what they had. It, it's interesting because we you, you do think more about who you're going to get and still, instead of who you're losing. And I think some of that is in part because – these players don't even have to tell the coaches they're with, they're, they're leaving. They can just tell the administration of the school they're at, and then they can be in the portal. So I think that's that's part of where the coaches are feeling like, oh, you know, this is a little bit of a headache uh, because, you know, they're, they're not even aware of what's going on with their own players sometimes. Yeah, and I mean... They'll find out eventually. Yeah, and maybe that speaks more to, like, how you should have relationships with your players, which I realize is a different situation on the football side. You can't be you can't extremely close with 70 guys, you know, as you are in the basketball side of things. That's just, you know, logistically not possible. But you, know, you should around, have position coaches that are. Yeah, and yeah. you're around football programs enough to know that there are some football coaches, especially head coaches, that are such macro managers of it that, you know, they don't know their players personally. You know, I, I heard an old story once um, from a friend who was a walk-on at Kansas State, you know, years ago and said that Bill Snyder only knew players by their numbers unless you were a quarterback, which, you know. It, it's just the way it is, though, because you just can't expect a head coach who has to be, especially, I can't imagine when that was, but these coaches, especially at the Power Five level, and even even at the level JMU was at in the FCS, is trying to maintain a top tier FCS program that competes for national championships. They have to be a CEO. You're talking about fundraising, dealing with the media, dealing with all the external stuff that that doesn't relate to X's and O's uh, that these coaches have to worry about. So I could see how, you know, the relationship with a player get gets lost. Yeah, but you know, like you mentioned, that becomes a big part of your position coaches and I think probably to have a gauge of where your guys stand, how they're feeling, make, make it a little more personal. And, you know, the best recruiters and the best position coaches are already doing that. But, you know, I think, you know, it's something that I think you're going to see maybe how close and how personal it really is for people when, when this option is there. If you're if you're completely if everybody on your staff is completely taken by surprise that somebody's name is in the transfer portal, then maybe you weren't serving that kid's best interest to begin with. Right. You hear the in recruiting you always hear the oh, it's family. Oh, you know, I love the atmosphere yeah. because 
you know, the coaches treated me like one of their own, you know, you'll, you'll find out whether that's true or not and, and how well those relationships are being established during a time uh, when they have this option to look and see uh, what's out there. This was Richmond football coach Russ Huseman. I, I think he just had the greatest line of all. You can even hear me chuckle in the background at what he had to say. Uh, but Russ, this is what he had to say about the transfer portal and, and just how Richmond is dealing with it. You know, I'm not totally in favor of it, mm-hmm. um, but I can't be a hypocrite and say we're not choosing it. I mean, you have to. You have to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we lost some kids that, that left the program here uh, that chose to choose to transfer elsewhere, mm-hmm. which I'm sure a lot of people had the same situation throughout the country. Um, so we, we, we were no different than anybody else. And, you know, when you're losing guys, um, you know, when you're losing a, a, a grad student, a fifth-year guy, an older guy, you know, it's hard to just say, oh, we'll replace him with a freshman, just go sign. You know, you have to replace older guys with older guys. And, and so that's where, you know, you got to take advantage of it. So you heard Russ there said, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't like it, but I'm using it. Uh, so I, I think that's a pretty valid, uh, valid line. I think you, you'll you'll hear a lot of coaches just admit that because it's it's just the way it goes. I know in basketball, I'm sure I'm sure Lou Rowe and, and company there, you know, they probably have a guy, you know, look at it just as Kurt Signetti had, you know, assistant coaches keeping their ear out uh, for what was going on with players they potentially wanted to bring in, uh, whether it was Brandon Polk or Dylan Spaulding, uh, just from talking to those players that, uh, you know. Spalding, or excuse me, Polk had a previous relationship with some of those guys when they were grad assistants at Penn State. Uh, so I think that part of it is, is not crazy drastic from you know the previous the pre-portal era, uh, if that's a thing. But uh, it's something to certainly uh, be aware of. What's what's kind of the basketball side of that? Um, it, it's similar to what you said. It's you know it's the pre-existing relationships, and when you see a name. It, the big difference is that everything is surface level right now. These names are public to anybody who has a NCAA you know, database. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're an employee of one of these things, you can log on and see it, and you know, and obviously they get leaked so that you know a lot of people publish the entire list, and you know, so nobody should be nobody's surprised. It's all out there, it's as out opposed there. to where it was like. You're calling the AAU coaches you know, hey, are any of the guys that you used to coach thinking about transferring and, you know, doing it back channels and you're you're looking at one list rather than making five phone calls to find out these things. And but it's like you said, it's the pre existing relationships for a basketball example here, um, Tim Johnson, who was on the JMU staff until very recently, um, he had previously recruited uh, Keve Aluma, who played at Wofford um, and ended up transferring to Virginia Tech. Uh, but when his name hit the portal, you know, made the phone call immediately because he knew that guy it was a pre-existing relationship. They're not calling every single guy in the portal every year, you know, um, or even everybody who might fit a spot on their roster, but they're, you know, they're seeing that, name that they recognize and somebody they know they like and they're you know at least making the inquiry yeah it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and one that certainly i'm sure there'll be some tweaks to it uh my guess would be in the coming years or i don't know it was maybe as soon as next year or, or the year after that at some point there's going to be some kind of tweak to it because i do think you have some players enter just to see what's out there there are a couple of JMU players, football players, that had put their name in the portal and, and still haven't landed anywhere, have announced they're transferring uh, and still haven't landed anywhere. Paris Black comes to mind, former defensive lineman at JMU, uh, who transferred to JMU from Wake Forest. His name's in the portal. Uh, same thing uh, with the receiver, E.J. Morgan, who was hurt all last year after playing briefly in that NC State game in the opener. Uh, you, you're talking about guys who have been in the portal for, in Paris Black's case, a couple of months in Morgan's case, a couple of weeks, and still haven't found a new home. So I think you, you do see some of that, uh, and I think that that's maybe something that, that has to be able to change is that kids have to go in there knowing that they are taking a risk and, and that they may not have that immediate home. So I think that's something that, that the NCAA, I don't know how you'd work on that, but something that 
they'd have to warn the kids about for sure. Yeah, I wonder if tightening up the calendar on it would be something that would help everybody. I mean, it's turned into like a 12-month thing, you know, if somebody gets unhappy during the season or whatever, um, you know, their name goes in and, you know, they don't know what spots are going to be available elsewhere and teams don't know what spots they're going to have because they're waiting to see who their guys are leaving. I wonder, you know, in the professional ranks, there's a free agent period in each right. sport. Right. I wonder if you're going to have to have something similar to that. You know, and maybe it has to be different for each sport at the college level. Where there's a cutoff. Yeah. Where you have you to know, be in school by know. July 1st to play football that next year. Yeah, yeah, maybe the transfer period becomes, you know, April 1st to June 31st in basketball, for example. You know, I don't know how that would work, but it just seems like it's become a year-long thing that just kind of... I can see it now, just, you know, like, you know how uh, Major League Baseball does, like, the trade deadline special, or uh, the NFL Network does the free agency, yeah. same thing the NBA does, those networks. I can see the same thing happening for college sports. All of a sudden, ESPN's got a uh, free agent period specialty show when that, when that first deadline goes live, but I guess that's to come. Uh, Jam, you did announce officially it's three transfers. Uh, you know, we, we reported it at the DNR, I did. Uh, about a month ago, that, that Polk, Spalding, and Antonio Colclough, the defensive lineman from Temple, uh, would be coming to JMU. All three are officially on the roster now and in, in workouts with the team. Uh, also on the JMU football front, uh, they added a couple of commitments in the 2020 recruiting class. Uh, you have an A.J. AJ Webb, a cornerback uh, out of Life Christian Academy in Chester. And then you also have a Sam Malignaggi, uh, Malignaggi, excuse me, a athlete who will play either safety or corner at JMU. Uh, he's up from Massachusetts, uh, so I had to stretch the footprint a little bit. You don't you don't see too many guys, regardless of sport, uh, you know, coming down to JMU to play from from Massachusetts. That that was really interesting. Uh, but Webb, uh, he he's a three star prospect, and he he's going to be a big one in this class. Uh, had offers from Pitt, Rutgers was initially committed uh, to Virginia last year. Uh, also was offered by Old Dominion uh, and Appalachian State, so he had plenty of options to choose from. Uh, chose JMU, and he he really summed it up to me nicely, uh, as he said, you know, the, the the visit was all the difference. Visited Harrisonburg last Wednesday, committed Saturday. A lot of schools when I went like, when the visit they didn't have everything JMU had as far as that for me, you know. So I feel like JMU was all from the jump. This was Malignaggi on what he had to do to, to become interested in JMU uh, after kind of kind a little bit surprised that they had reached out to him early in the recruiting process, but uh, they saw him run at the opening in D.C., uh, the big combine, and then he also ran at a JMU prospect camp, uh, and they, they loved that 40 time in the four fours. Uh, so that's kind of what prompted him, and then he also uh, developed a nice relationship uh, with new Duke's cornerbacks coach, Matt Burkett, uh, who was at Maine. Uh, last year and for the previous nine, I believe. Uh, so he, Burkett had a pretty good idea of the program he's coming from. Uh, I think it's Buckingham Brown and Nichols Academy. That's that's quite the mouthful. It could be a law firm, could be a high school, who knows. But uh, Mal- Malignaghi, this is what he said uh, about Matt Burkett and the relationship that they formed. Like, I was a little surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then um, Coach Burkett said he was, um, like, he called me up one day and he said, like, um, that he was with, he was with the main staff um, this past year, mm-hmm. and like I knew um, Maine was Maine had a really good season because it's um it's in the hometown and stuff, mm-hmm. and like he was really cool to talk to because like he was talking to me, how he said he's from Massachusetts, and um like he understands about like being from Massachusetts like you have to work hard because like you don't get a lot of respect coming out of the Northeast, so um I felt like I really connected with him early because um we have that thing in common so. You know, summer's supposed to be the slow time, Shane. Uh, you know, there's just, you know, college athletics, man, it just, it just never stops. And, and you, you experienced that firsthand this, this weekend. Yeah, yeah, going over there, um, it ended up being, you know, a good experience seeing a lot of guys who were going to be playing, you know. For, there were some high major guys there, but there was a good concentration of guys that are going to be playing at the CAA level. So it was definitely worth going over and seeing that. But, yeah, like you said, it's kind of gotten to the point where it, it never stops. There's something going on that's, you know, directly related to these teams we cover pretty much year-round at this point. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much that. And 
Uh, I, I have a series of stories coming on Jeff Bourne uh, this week on his 20 years. It's 20 years at JMU this month. Uh, so I have a four-part uh, four series on Jeff Bourne, four-story series, I should say, on Jeff Bourne coming in this week's DNR that you can all read all about. It'll run, start running tomorrow through Saturday. Uh, so if you, you, you kind of are curious about some of the things that have gone on behind the scenes at JMU with Jeff Bourne, uh, just want to know about his tenure a little bit more, uh, that'll be in this week's paper. You're headed on vacation this week or no. next? No? no? Okay. Yeah, I got some... Uh... About a month before I go. Okay, vacation, month. So, yeah. I, I, everybody's going on vacation <laughs> yeah. at the time. I just got back. Yeah. Uh, I, I know somebody's probably going soon. Uh, but uh, what do you got coming? Uh, I know Valley League stuff. Yeah, right? hitting in the Valley League stuff a little bit, and um, you know, see what happens here on the uh, basketball recruiting trail is going to be heating up here pretty soon. I think with uh, several offers, there'll be uh, assistant basketball coach hired at some point. Um, I think that's gotten delayed a little bit more now that they've gotten back on the road for recruiting but um that'll happen some point here this summer and we'll see what name pops up there the women hired an assistant right ashley perez promoted yeah yeah, yeah. um you well know, let's, let's just touch on that before we wrap up here yeah you know ashley perez played at jmu for a couple of years uh, has been around the program now um as a uh, graduate assistant for a couple of years had, had a brief uh overseas career in between but um you know came back here wanted to get into coaching um once that job opened up um wasn't just handed to her they went through the whole interview process interviewed a lot of outside candidates but um i think felt comfortable uh giving her that shot to uh become the uh full-time assistant yeah so that's that uh, as far as our jmu segment today uh shane we'll talk to you next week all right thanks so good stuff from Shane. We'll, we'll switch gears, though, and go from college football to high school football. Whoa! Can you, can you believe high school football already? Uh, the Virginia High School League today released its master schedule, joined by Cody Elliott and Jim Sacco. Now Cody Elliott, a prep writer, Jim Sacco, sports editor at the DNR. And when you when you look at that thing, it's just that the master schedule. It's, it, is, it is huge. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What you guys were thinking when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, look at all the teams in this state. But uh, anyway, Cody, initial reactions when you saw it, as you started to look at the five teams in our area that we cover, Broadway, East Rock, Harrisonburg, Spotswood, TA. Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you see a lot of changes. We've had kind of a cycle of the, pretty much the same teams every year. Um, for the past two seasons, they've been playing the same teams and kind of just flipping, you know, where at. Um, this year, a lot of changes with Fort Defiance leaving the Valley, um, they're no longer on any of these schedules except for Broadway. Um, so they're the only city-county team playing for Defiance this year, and that'll be obviously a non-district game now. And then, you know, you look at East Rock, and their whole district slate now is completely different where, they, where they're playing Rappahannock County, Strasburg, Clark County, teams like that. So um, just a lot of changes throughout, you know, all five city-county teams, all their schedules look a little different. Um, some changes throughout everyone, throughout both their district schedules and their non-district. So, you know, it should be exciting to see how that works out. I just noticed that about the, the, the no fourth Defiance except for Broadway. Broadway. How is Fort going to get better? Where I mean, they're 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 staying three. They're dropping down to the Shenandoah. How are they going to get better? They, they might to... win more games, but I I don't know if they're going to. Well, yeah, they're going to win more. They're going to win more games. Yeah. They could win more games, but I just don't. I just noticed that now, and that's 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 a little crazy to me. I mean, if you just because you're dropping out of the valley, I mean, I guess you kind of have to. You know, I don't know. I, I need to look at their non their non district. I haven't done that yet, and that's my bad on that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, I just noticed that. Goodness gracious me. I, I noticed East, East Rock's got a little bit of travel. Oh yeah. They've, they've got, they've got some, they've got some long bus rides, I would think, right? Yeah. I mean, you look at that schedule, yeah. they're, they're on the road a good bit. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, I mean, the trip to Rap ain't bad, uh, at Clark the County, Clark County. Yeah. and I like I, I I like that district matchup because I'm not mistaken, Clark County still runs the old spinning single wing, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that you know now East Rock's going to see the kind of fits that's going to give. I mean that, I mean three years ago, a really good Union team with James Mitchell, who's now you know being touted as uh, the next big thing at Virginia Tech. Uh, went up there and faced that Clark County team running this the spinning single wing and and just got owned. And, I mean, that spinning single wing is going to be a bear. Yeah, I mean, that Clark County team has been a power in that district for, for years now. Um, you know, they haven't missed the playoffs since 2007. So, you know, going over to that district, you know, they've 
typically just dealt with Riverheads in the Shenandoah. It'll be interesting to see kind of which teams kind of emerge as some of the top teams in that district over the next couple of years, what kind of rivalries they build. And, you know, that's their first district game of the year is against Clark County. So that'll, that'll be <laughs> well, a welcome, welcome welcome to the run. And, and they do it right up there, too, with the, the, the spin and single wing, because Chris Parker's been been the head coach up there for a while. And that whole youth through varsity has bought in, which is really the only way you could run that if you're teaching it at the youth level and you got these kids who are running it when they're in, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, by, and they're still running it at the JV level. And by the time they get to the varsity level, I mean, they're running it to perfection. It's that how, muscle memory. Yeah. I mean, but how do you, I mean, what do you do in that situation? I mean, what, what's your, you got to teach your scout team if Donnie's got a scout team. I mean, you got to teach what the JV kids how to run a. A spinning single wing for the the week leading up to that. Yeah, I mean that's an extremely tough matchup. Um, one one other thing I wanted to note note that stood out to me with when I just first looked was TA's non conference schedule or non district schedule. Way way manageable, I guess. Which is I don't want to say easier, but at least manageable um, than previous years where they played some of these class five schools. Um, and I feel like every year we've talked about how how tough that non district schedule was, but this year, um, you know, they faced a William Minority in the opener that has been pretty bad over the years. Um, Fort Defiance beat them last year. Uh, Broadway's beaten them in recent years. So the Western is a team that's usually pretty decent, and then Monticello has lost a lot. Um, and then you've got the two Shenandoah teams there in Stanton High School and uh, Wilson Memorial. So, you know, a lot a lot easier schedule in terms of not facing those big schools, maybe not quite as ever matched this year. Um, and hopefully, you know, they'll get off to a little bit better start and maybe propel themselves into a better position going into district play. Feasibly, they could probably head into the Valley if things work out their way at 3-2, and two, which would which would surpass their win total from the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, and once they get to the Valley, it's going to, you know, your first Valley game is against uh, Broadway, uh, you know, who, you know, it's kind of the unknown under under Danny in his first they'll year. They'll look good. Yeah, they'll, 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 <laughs> they'll, they'll look good. They, they, I tell you, if there is, is there a team that's been winning the off-season uh, popularity contest more than Broadway? I mean, they... Uh, the Gobblers, they got they got a new coach, they got new swag. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's a renaissance there, Broadway. Yeah, I, I'm liking what they're doing, but I mean, they could come up at 3-2 and two and, and when they're going under Broadway. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing, is if they can just get into district play with even a winning record, or at least right there at it, you know, gives them a little bit better hope, because, you know, every year when they've been going to district play, going in 1-3, and 0-4, oh and four, it just kind of... You know, it's hard to kind of get out of that funk early in the season, and it'll be interesting to see where they are going into that Broadway game. I think we'll know a lot more, obviously, by then. And, um, you know, then once you get into district play, anything can happen. Cody, I, I don't know if you've done any any kind of asking about this, but uh, just in terms of the ADs in the Valley trying to get extra games because the, the district is different without four. You had to get kind of more non-conference games. Was there any trouble? Have you Had you heard anything about that? Uh, just in terms, because I, I noticed a lot of these a lot of these valid teams are playing the same non-conference opponents. Yeah, I, I know that the big thing that a lot of them told me when it first happened was that they wanted to try and still keep a lot of those natural rivalries around here. You know, in terms of with East Rock, they wanted to play their Riverheads. Actually, they're playing Riverheads. They're playing Buffalo Gap this year, um, both on their non-conference schedule. So they wanted to try and keep some of those rivalries they built over the years because, you know, Augusta County still naturally is the closest county to them so a lot of those teams down that way you're going to see and and you see that this year with ta picking up stanton and wilson um broadway picks up buffalo gap spotswood picks up wilson memorial so i think you're going to see a lot of some of those shenandoah teams in augusta county um the store straps the buffalo gaps stanton high school riverheads you're going to see a lot of those start to pop up on some of these guys schedules just because they're going to want to keep those those robbers as close and limit the travel as much as they can I, and good, you know good for east rock with that non-district schedule yeah, i did. mean i really like how they set that up over there i mean you got to play that game against spotswood just because i mean you, you, it's it they don't come more natural than that you got to play spotswood and you know i think the football gods they've made that a yearly season opening thing that's just that's the way to do that thing. that's the way to kick off the season yeah, that, yeah that's how you do it and i like that they they, they, they stuck with riverheads real shenandoah district mate and i like the fact they're staying with buffalo gap because there's i just i think you know aside from spotswood which is the regional uh, uh, you know natural down the road rivalry uh I, they don't run similar offenses to each other, but I just kind of feel like that East Rock River, East Rock with Riverheads, and East Rock with Buffalo Gap, just seems for some reason it just seems so natural. Is that yeah. just because we're used to them always playing in the Shenandoah, or is there something more? No, I think that's for sure. And then it kind of heated up. They've met a couple times in the playoffs the last couple of years. I mean, last year. 
Um, he struck beat him up here at JMU. I remember it um, in the I think it was the regional semis. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, last year you had the big matchup with Carter Rivenberg and Jaywan Evans, which was always a big storyline. Um, but yeah, I think they they've played each other a couple times in recent years, and I I don't yeah, I agree with you. It just seems when you look at some of those teams that are left over in terms of Wilson. Uh, Stanton, you know, all those teams, it look, it just feels like Buffalo Gap makes the most sense in terms of the, that third team to kind of serve as a rivalry with them and, and, and be a consistent uh, member of that non-district schedule for them. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Okay, Cody, you already have something online about this, and that's, you know, games to watch this year. Uh, what was what was the first game on, on your schedule? I think I, I think I know, I think I've looked at it, but what was the first game to watch on your on your on your list? Well, you, I mean, you always what pops out of spots was East Rock as the opener, obviously, and it's all those city county rivalries that that pop up throughout the year. But I think when we were talking about the non district schedule and, yeah. and just some of the new matchups, the Broadway Buffalo Gap game on September twenty seventh um, is one to be excited about for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's two first year coaches, um, of course, Danny Grog at Buffalo or at Broadway, who we've talked about a lot um, in his first year. And then you've got um, Brad Wyatt out there at Buffalo Gap. He comes over here as the Wilson Memorial defense coordinator. Him coming over there, two teams that are going to be hard-nosed, gritty, run the ball straight down the middle. I mean, defensive focus. It's just going to be a very old-school football game. And, and to see those teams kind of meet on the same field, that'll be exciting because when I covered the Shenandoah District, you know, Buffalo Gap reminded me a lot of Broadway. And now that I cover Broadway, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of the same. They, they have that same type of persona, that same type of – um, style of play, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they match up. Do you like that game too, right? Oh, I can't wait for that. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, really, uh, let's see, we got two teams off that night, so this is feasibly something we can double cover because I want to go to this game. <laughs> I mean, this game just, I mean, it, like Cody said, it's going to be old school. This is going to be your prototypical three yards in a cloud of dust. This is going to be your, your gritty defensive game where there's going to be a lot of hard hits. There's going to be, you know, yards are going to be tough to come by and at a premium. I, I mean, I'm really excited about this game, and you know, and you know, played under the setting sun behind North Mountain at, Buff- at Broadway High School. There, I don't know if there's a better backdrop in in the area. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna agree to disagree on that. It's it's <laughs> it's near the top. I mean, it's yeah. it's one of my it's one of my top three for sure. Uh, but I just can't wait for this game. This football, this is this is high school football right there when Buffalo Gap comes up to Broadway. Yeah, I, I like that one too. When you look at the teams in the area, who, what, what, what are you kind of expecting for this year? I know you haven't dug deep yet because you're still coming off softball and and the spring sports, Cody. But when you start looking at at, at teams and when the schedule is released, it, it's hard not to you know just go through win loss, win 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 loss. Uh, when you look at the teams, how how are you kind of seeing them stack up in this area? Who do you think is going to be good? Who do you think is going to have a shot at the playoffs that maybe hasn't been there before? What are you kind of doing as, as you look in, and starting to evaluate uh, what this area's got? Yeah, I think when you look at the Valley District, in which is where four of our you know city county teams play, um, I think it's back to just the usuals up top, just in terms of Harrisonburg spots in Rockbridge County. Um, Harrisonburg's a little bit more of a question mark just because they did lose a little bit with, with Marcus Robinson Jenkins going to Navy and then Victor Lynch and some of those guys on the defensive side. Um, if they can replace all those pieces, which I think they have enough athletes that they can and kind of build around Quentin Smiley at the quarterback position, um, you know, he showed a, a lot of what he was kind of made of last year. And, and, you know, if he's worked on his passing a little bit more, he can kind of become more of a dual threat instead of just a running threat like he was last year. Um, you know, they're going to be obviously in it every year. And Spotswood returns a lot. Um, and then Rockbridge County returns quite a bit as well. So I think it's still a three-team race with those three um, in the Valley. And then t- with T.A. and Broadway, I think it's just a bunch of, you know, question marks. T.A.'s got some talent coming back. Uh, Grant Swanhart was one of the top running backs last year in the, in the Valley. He's back this year, and he should be a, a, a really big player in, in the area. Um, and then Broadway, like we've said, it's just, you know, they, they did lose quite a bit off that team, but they've also got some key pieces coming back. And what they can kind of do with some new energy and, and some new life under Danny Grog will be interesting to see. And then when you know, then of course you look at East Rock moving over to the Bull Run. Um, you know, it, it's a new district, new teams they're playing. Um, you know, they, they still get Paige, Stonewall, and Larray. Paige and Stonewall typically haven't been very good. Um, you know, I think East Rock will be better than expected. You know, everybody talks about the 21 seniors that they lost, and, and that certainly will be hard to replace. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Um, but they do have some guys coming back that I think can step up, and with the culture Donnie Coleman's kind of built there, they, they could, you know, still contend and still maybe, you know, put together a 6-7 win season. 
with 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 Smiley over at Harrisonburg. I mean, you, we've you you wrote enough about him uh, last year when he kind of merged onto the scene, but he still kind of seems like this unknown secret. I mean, it just kind of seems like when we're you know, when maybe when the general public is out, is out there is, and they're talking about Harrisburg football, I mean, are, I don't think people are mentioning him more so as they're mentioning maybe the loss of Marcus Robinson Jenkins. And they're not mentioning the fact that they have a really, 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 really good mobile quarterback who, like you said, needs to work on his arm strength and needs to work on his passing accuracy, which I'm sure he's been doing all offseason because I, the job's his, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it just, he just kind of seems like a, a, a secret, even though he's really not a secret. Yeah. If it makes any sense. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I agree with that completely because it, it's it's like you said. I think everybody kind of, even last year, kind of kept, you know, we all talked about Marcus Robinson Jenkins. For good reason. He was a Division one running back. But that, that team really became Quentin Smiley's midway through the year when Robinson Jenkins sat out for five games with the injury and, and Smiley – um, took over in the first half of that, uh, or the second half of that first game of the year. I think you were there, Greg. Yeah, I was. I was um, there. I mean, they played most of the season without Robinson Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. And so Smiley came in, and he was a little raw at first, and he was he was real skinny, and he just, he was just kind of fast. And then what you saw throughout the year, I thought, I thought was kind of he got more comfortable with the offense, and slowly, you know, by the end of the year, he was controlling the offense. Um, like I said, his passing wasn't quite where it needed to be. Um, or where they probably would like it to be. But when you have a quarterback like that, even at the high school level, a guy who can run like that, there's no doubt he was the most, you know, dynamic guy um, at that position around the area. And I think, you know, Chris Thurman's talked about, you know, throughout the offseason they were going to focus a lot on, on getting his arm stronger, having him hit the weight room, and trying to really develop into a, a full dual-threat quarterback. And if he can do that, that's really scary for the rest of the league. And, I, and that's why I think, you know, you look at You've got Ty Rooley down there in Rockbridge. You put up just silly numbers in the passing game and that crazy offense and the spread attack. And then you've got Smiley at Harrisonburg and then Ryan High at Spotswood. And that's three quarterbacks right there that I think is really going to set up for a good district race. How much does it help Harrisonburg? you got seven games at home and only three on the road. That, that to me... Uh, was another thing that stood out. I mean, that's 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 pretty good home cooking right there. Yeah, what what helps them in is is having that Spotswood game back at at Harrisonburg. I think that is kind of that that's pivotal for them because I once again I think that's gonna that's gonna decide the the, the value. Yeah, and it's the last game this year. It's yeah. not even you know usually it it falls the second or third to get next to the last game and you know this year being in the last game we could go into that game. Both of them being undefeated in district play, and that being, you know, that decides it all right there. Yeah, I, I think that's that's huge to get that game at home, and as opposed to you know avoiding Spotswood, which I think the normal cycle would have brought it, but we're starting the new cycle because mm-hmm. the we're starting the new two-year cycle, so that's why you're kind of seeing some of these unbalanced uh, home and away schedules. But I, I, you know, that that's huge. I mean, especially in that last game. Yeah, you look at Harrisonburg at at William Fleming to open the year, and then they're home to Hanley, home to Charlottesville, home to Albemarle, home to Sharando, and then you got the Valley District and schedule and where it balances out a little that's bit. A, that's a tough non-district slate too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Hanley on there. He's all who's I feel like is pretty you know, a pretty good team every year. Um, Charlottesville gave them everything they wanted last year. Um, in Harrisonburg, and then Albemarle's a good, has traditionally been a decent team. Um, and then Sarando, we know what they're capable of and what they've done to Broadway the past couple of seasons. So, um, you know, that they're, we're going to find out a lot about that Harrisonburg team right off the bat. And last year they, they kind of had a rough start in their non-district schedule, and they were able to turn around the Valley play. But, you know, with the loss of a district game this year, you've got five non-district games there. So, you know, they were kind of iffy towards the end of last year. If, if they would have lost a game or two late, they could have been in, in – bad shape because of the way the power rankings work in class five and everything like that you know they're going to have to win some games that a non-district slate slate just to keep themselves in contention even if they do go you know four and one five and one in the valley district and it, it's the old double-edged sword here i mean you, you start with this kind of non-district slate and you're looking at it you're like oh goodness gracious they don't if they come into the valley district at you know oh and one and four or oh and five you know they're they're kind of they're limping. Yeah, yeah they're kind of limping and, and not looking at a playoff berth. But at the same point, if you say, "Oh, you know, goodness gracious, if they with these teams on that that non-district schedule, if they come into the valley at four and one, or dare I say, five and zero, oh, 
I mean, they're in good position for a home game in the first round of the playoffs. They're in good position for a nice postseason run, even being 5A. Well, and, and the rest of the Valley District's looking at them like, yeah. holy cow, yeah. what, what got into Harrisonburg? Yeah, you know, poor yeah. Waynesboro. You know, if, if you're you know, if you're know welcoming Harrisonburg as your, you know, for, for the first Valley District game of the year, and you're facing a team that's 5-0, and or let's say 4-1, and one, has beaten William Fleming, lost to Hanley, beat Charlottesville, beat Elmaro, and beat Sharando, and you're, and you're Waynesboro. Who struggled mightily? Uh, you know, you're just like, oh goodness gracious me! You know, what what are we getting ourselves into? And you know, boom, you're looking at a running clock. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah no, no, no joke about that. <laughs> at least that night's ending early because you're going to be home in bed by nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no question about that. Who's the best player in the in, in the area, Cody? Ooh, uh, I'm putting you on the spot. It's only June, but I'll, I'll throw you on the spot. Well, I've been I've been talking about him a lot since the end of last year um, here in the office of Jim, and I, I really think that if if he takes the steps that he that he looked like he might take towards the end of last year, I think Ryan High from Spotswood really could come out as the area's best player. He's just he's got all the tools to be a really special player. He's he's got the size, he's got the arm strength. Um, he showed it a, a lot of poise last year just as a sophomore. I mean, he led him to nine straight wins, won the, the district title for the first time since 2013. Um, you know, I, I just really think. You know, every time they needed a play last year, he was able to make it. And and with a year under his belt and coming back, and he's he's gotten bigger and he's gotten stronger. I just think it could be a really special year for him. But then, obviously, like we said earlier, you've got to mention Quentin Smiley as well. He's he's right up there in terms of making plays for his team as well. So I think those are the two guys that kind of stand out to me the most. I think if Smiley gets his, I want to see what Smiley does with the passing game. But with that said, I'm going to go with another route, and I'm going to say on the defensive side of the ball is probably the best player in the area. I'm going to say Ben Conahan. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say you know because he's only going to get bigger. He's only gotten bigger. He was bigger during wrestling season. I think he's going to be just an absolute just force to be reckoned with in the middle of that that spots with defense. It's going to be tough to do anything against that team because he's your prototypical linebacker. I mean, he can cover guys. He's, he can cover guys out in the flat when he needs to. He can probably keep up with some of those wide receivers in any sort of packages when he's kind of got to an emergency. And you're not going to run on him. I mean, you're just—he's going to fill every gap in that line, and you're not going to run on him. I'm going to go. I'm, that's why I'm going the defensive side of the ball. But I do want to see what what Smiley does with the arm because as good as high is as Spotswood, and he's going to be fantastic. And me and Cody have talked about it in this office how good this potential is. If, if Smiley can get a really good passing game going, he's going to be he's going to be tough for people not to look at, especially with that foot speed and the way he rolls out of the pocket and the way he can turn a corner on you. It, it, I, I, you know, goodness gracious, that that could be really scary. Yeah, football season just around the corner. I can't Believe wait. it or not, Jim can't wait. Uh, he's he's ready for football season. Uh, so if you if you want to look at your schedules. Uh, you can find him VHSL, and then Cody's also got his look at it uh, as, as he takes he takes an early peek at the 10 games to watch. If you want to find it, dnronline.com or in tomorrow's paper in the Daily News Record. Uh, from talking about potential football player of the year to the, the softball player of the year, which was announced today, T.A. is Carly Davis. No surprise, Cody, right? Yeah, I mean, Jim and I actually just talked last week about you know who we kind of thought maybe was the was the best player on that team because Michaela Sizik and Carly Davis both served such pivotal roles for them. I mean, there's no you can't say enough about either player with how important they were. Um, but yeah, Carly gets named the Player of the Year today. Um, you know, I think it just shows it, it, it's almost a respect thing for to uh, from the rest of the state and from from the rest of the area because when you look at the numbers, Carly's batting numbers weren't even as good as Michaela's, but it was because of how many intentionally intentionally walks <laughs> intentional walks she was facing throughout the year. I mean, you know, it seemed like every game throughout the postseason she was getting intentionally walked um, two or three times. Um, the only team I, I know that didn't do it was Liberty, which was the team they lost to in the state championship. So. Um, yeah, I mean, just a huge year for them, not only even at the plate. You know, she's obviously got the ability to hit a lot of home runs and, and knocking a lot of RBIs, but she was just such a leader for that team and, and such a crucial role um, in that catcher position. So, you know, well-deserved for her, in my opinion. It was the two things that, that I noticed in back-to-back days at the state semifinals and the state championship game that I think really just showed why she was state player of the year. The first one was against Skyline, where she didn't have an official at bat in four trips to the plate. She was intentionally walked three times, and then she she worked her own walk 
<laughs> in the fourth time. Well, no, they walked her the first two times, and she worked a walk her third time at the plate, and then they just sent her to base the fourth time. The other thing was in the in the law, even though it was a loss, was her fifth inning single uh, against Millie Thompson in the state championship game against Liberty was where where she kind of looked towards she she beat out the throw because it was a it was an infield single. And she looked towards the, the TA dugout and was just extremely, extremely pumped, slapped her hands together. And I was about 40, 50 feet away, and you heard her just scream, let's go. And I think that was, those were the two reasons why, aside from the batting average, aside from the, you know. The home runs, those are the yeah. intangibles right. right there is that, you know, she's solidified herself all for the past two years, really, as just this top-notch leader, which is probably... 60% of the reason why she's going to go play at Elon is because she's yeah. a leader. Uh, and I think those two plays are what, because we, we had talked about this, like Cody said, for a while. Who do you, you know, who's your player? Who's the best player on that team? If one, if someone on that team is player of the year, and we were just having this conversation last Thursday, I think, you know, it was like, who is it? And, and I think just those intangibles is what, you know, gave it to Carly Davis. And you can't take anything away from, from Sizzik at all, but I mean, you know, I, I she would have got my nod if I was in the voting room. Yeah, I wonder if Winthrop plays Elon uh, this coming this coming this coming September. Road you trip. Get, road you trip. guys have to make a road trip. Won't yeah. be the Buddy Battery much longer when that happens. No, no. <laughs> we'll be Carly Davis trying to get a hit against against Sizzik. Uh But uh, you guys recovered yet? You guys recovered from softball, high school, spring sports, baseball. You guys, you guys. Rest it up a little bit. Well, it depends. Are you done taking vacations? Eh. I, I can take. I can take more if you guys want me to. <laughs> no, we're good. I, I mean, I'm. We're fine now. I mean, now I think it's just that one. It's just that it was just that 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 week wait. I think. Yeah, I think that's really what what made the season feel even longer. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know the rain. We're we're one day away from going down and, and wrapping up the season, and and you know everybody's ready to play. The coaches are ready. The players are ready. We're ready. And then next thing you know, we get an email that says everything's moving in a week. And it just really, I think, threw everybody for a loop. Yeah, and, and it just, I mean, just personally, you're just like, oh, goodness gracious. You know, like, <laughs> like, you know, at that point, you're like, oh, you know, if it would have been Monday or Tuesday, I don't think it would have been like, ah, you know. But yeah. you saw we had to wait a week. It was like, oh. Yeah, you know, brutal. Yeah, once it's done, though, I mean, I think we slept, we, I slept most that Sunday and Monday. And then it's like, okay, now we're fine. And now let's, let's dive back in. Yeah, and then it was on to the Valley League yes. where... I did want to, before we wrap up today, I wanted to touch on the Turks because we, we probably haven't talked about them enough on the podcast. I know when they opened, we, I had Bob, I talked with Bob, and we had Bob's interview played. Uh, but uh, they've turned it around. Oh, after it, it looked like after that first week and a half, I was thinking, holy cow, Bob, Bob said they were going to have a better team than they did last year. It was looking like it was going to go the other way. Uh, but they've turned it around. Uh, they've won six straight, uh, and they're ten and eight overall now. Jim, what's what's kind of gone on with this Turks team? Well, I think it's important to note though they're still in last place. Hey, that's but, all right. That's but, all right. They're above five hundred. But, but here's the here's the deal: you got four of the teams in front of them are all tied for first, and they're half a game back in that log jam, which is just hilarious to me. Uh, I think it all started with the eight zero win over Winchester. I mean, yeah. I mean that 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 started this six game streak. I mean, and from there on, it's and, and Cody, it's been big innings. And it's been rallies. I mean, they rallied for you know their second straight win. They rallied from six down. Uh, no rally with six runs in the eighth inning to beat Percival. Got two big innings to beat defending champ Newmarket. Rallied for seven runs in the final two innings to beat Covington. Held Waynesboro their first inning run. Then came then the bats came alive for them to get that win. And then I think finally, you know, they get off the Schneid after that blowing that eleven run lead oh against Stanton. Yeah. We, 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 in the ninth inning, to beat the team that has beaten you three times before, including that heartbreaker, and to rally to do it because they were down six one in that game and the other night, and they have come out with an eight six win. Yeah, no, it's 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 impressive what they've done with Bob. He's got JMU kids with them doing it too. With Harry Brown, who's who's been very good as of late, yeah. very good as of late, and just timely hitting. Nothing, nothing power though. He did have a ground rule double in that rally uh, against Stanton the other night, but it's just been just. Timely hitting and they're scoring two out runs. Yeah. Is the other thing it's, it's tough not to notice is that they're scoring two out runs. And any coach is going to tell you two out runs going to give you wins. And one guy that's been I know big for them has been Jacob Ferris, the pitcher. Um, he, I, I wrote about him earlier this year, but I, just keeping track of how he's been doing this summer, he's 
he was named a national pitcher of the year last week of the week last week by by um, the college summer league association. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just he's been really big for them. Um, and yeah, I mean they're just they seem to be catching uh, fire at the right time. But you know it's still a long, long, long season. So well, and and you know the other thing too is if you start out slow, you got to remember you're still trying to gel kids, even though every other team is trying to do it. You're still trying to gel kids that haven't played together. They come from various programs, different levels, trying to figure out what position they fit with on this this team specifically so i'm sure it, it does take some adjustment even if you know the other teams that are competing with you are doing the same thing and some of your guys aren't necessarily there yet either some of them might have been taken oh i want to go home for four days after we just got eliminated from the college play you know the college world series and let's go i'm gonna i need four days coach i'll be there bob and give me five days bob i'll be there but it's just that weiss wizardry I well, mean, it, it's it is what it is. I mean, let, let's be real. When you've been doing it that long, and you know, it's it's impressive the longevity Bob Bob Weiss has in the Valley League. I mean, talk about RCBL history too with Bob Weiss. I mean, that just the guy knows what he's doing. He doesn't he doesn't get kids that don't don't want to have a good summer and then compete for a pennant. I mean, he gets kids that that want to win. Yeah, and, and what I'm curious about, and what I need to check out here in the next couple of days, so we can talk about it next week on the pod is. I'm curious how what what the ERA of the of the of the Valley League is right now because the pitching has not been good. You're telling me the pitching in the Valley League hasn't been yeah, good. Yeah, that was, that was something Bob Weiss mentioned when I did the story on Jacob Ferris. He mentioned hmm. the fact that having one guy like like Ferris could make a difference because the pitching around the league as a whole now is not what it used to be. He said that they're not able to get the kid. He said a lot of the college coaches they shut are concerned down the over their yeah they're concerned over their pitchers' arms. Um, all this different stuff like that, and they're not letting their aces come anymore. You're seeing a lot of relievers come in. You're seeing a lot of guys like that, and and that's why you know the the league as a whole is uh you know you're seeing a lot more high. I think what was the Waynesboro game the other night like twenty? I saw yeah. like someone dropped twenty three on Woodstock. Poor <laughs> Mike Bocock, oh, you know, got twenty three dropped on him the other night. I mean, what do you what do you do if there's no pitching available? And and I, something I've talked about with Weiss in the past is how the talent isn't coming here like it used to uh, when they when they would get you know future big leaguers and have multiple future big leaguers on the same team in the Valley League. Uh, you, you get them going not only to Cape Cod, but there's leagues in Florida now. And it's, Texas. No, it's, it's oversaturation it's, right. of, of summer wooden bat NCAA sanctioned leagues is what it is. I mean, back in the day, there was two. Right. I mean, you just talked about two. You, you talked th- about Cape Cod. You talked about the Valley. And they had the Alaskan League, which, yeah. which you have some players go up there. But uh, when, when the talent gets spread out that much, uh, it's, it's very different. And I know just from talking to him, he goes, you know, back in the past, you know, you didn't have D2 and D3 players in this league. Now you have a handful of them on each team. Like, he said it was a big deal that Eric Kratz got promoted. Not to, not to go to the well again, but he said it was a big deal that Kratz got promoted from an RCBL team up to a Valley League team when he was, when we had, you know, I think, I don't know if he was managing both teams, but had an ownership part in both teams. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting that it was a big deal that, you know, Kratz, a future big leaguer, uh, because he was a D3 player, got pushed eventually to the Valley League. Whereas now you got, you got kids just all over the place. And I think, you know, and, and you know, with all due respect to, to, to the, the, the people who are, you know, are in charge of the Valley League teams and, and are managing them, I think a little bit of this has got to be on them because, yeah, they want to win, these coaches and these guys. They want to hold the Line Weaver Cup up. But you can't treat these pitchers like you want to win a championship because – these pitchers, bread and butter, are the college coaches who are paying for their, you know, the college coaches who by default are paying for their scholarships, who are, who, those are the people who are earning their bonuses based on performances by these players. And when you send them off to the Valley League, you know, if I got, if I, hey man, I'm be honest with you, okay, if I'm, if I, if, if I'm a, a, the coach, a baseball coach at Virginia Tech, and I'm sending someone to the summer league, and no matter what summer league it is, and I'm sending my star pitcher to the summer league, and I'm finding out he's throwing 115 pitches a night. Back to Blacksburg. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, no. You know, if I hear that he's doing it once, I'm just, I'm like, okay, no. You know, yeah. I can't have this. 
And I think they, I think there needs to be maybe a little bit of shift in philosophy in the GM offices of the Valley League and, and push down to the, the, the dugouts maybe in the bullpens. And maybe that's what, maybe what you need to do, okay, is, okay, we're not going to, yeah, we want to win, but, you know, let's win with a collection of pitchers. Let's not get two, three aces in here. Well, you can expand the rosters, too, if, if you want to do that. I, I think they have a, they do have a cap, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, like I know Bob said, you know, it would be ideal to have 13 or 14 pitchers. Why not try to get... 17 or 18. You know, if you expand the roster a little bit, I think I think that may help that well, that problem. And you've seen what what you guys mentioned there about coaches literally pulling pitchers back. That's literally happened over the past few summers. You'll see a lot of times at the end of the year, Valley League teams are starting to add guys or they're pulling guys up from the RCBL late in the year, and it's then it's screwing up the RCBL league because you know they're running out of bodies. Kids will leave early because they their summer. They just want to get back to school, or their coaches want them to come on back. And, it, and it's not a dugout problem. I don't, no. I don't think it's necessarily what, what's happening in the dugout. I think it's I think it's just a, an overall philosophy problem, or, or not even a problem. I, you know, it's a philosophy issue yeah. that they, they can they can address to make sure that maybe they're getting quality pitching. Because I mean, like I said, I mean if I if I'm coaching at Virginia Tech and I'm hearing about my guy throwing, you know, even 80, 90. I mean, you think about it, these coaches, these college coaches, their livelihoods are on the line yeah. based on what these pitchers do in their, in, their, in their season. So you can't blame them for being angry that, you know, their pitchers are getting overworked in the league. And I, I think it's certainly something they have to address. I know it's been a problem for Bob because he loses pitchers at the end of each year. And he'll he'll tell you, you know, that's, that's why they lost. Um, but... If they can find a solution, I think it would not only make the players feel more comfortable and their college coaches feel more comfortable, it would probably make the managers in the league a lot happier, mm-hmm. too, uh, if, if they have if they, they can use their better pitchers uh, appropriately and, and help them win. Yeah, and, and I would, you know, and I, and I get I get the I get the mindset. You know, they it's it's been this way in the Valley League for 50-some-odd years, however long it's been around, and been an NCAA-sanctioned wooden bat summer league. And they want to win championships, and that's what you. That's why you do it. You know, that's why you do it. You want to put numbers on the, on the banners out there. And, and but at the same point, I mean, it, it it just, you know, maybe it's time for the collective to sit down and, you know, even like you said, I think the easiest thing would be to expand the rosters. Expand the rosters, or less the amount of games you're going to play. Yeah, that would help too. I, I think that would help too. Maybe start a little later. Yeah. Uh, and a little earlier. Give the kids maybe an extra week off after their college season, and then send them back to college a week earlier. Maybe you know, I, mean, I think that would make a huge difference. It's only two weeks, but I think if you're going to play, if you're talking about twelve to fourteen games, that's that's a major difference, uh, just in terms of the innings log. Yeah, I mean, the, the game even at the professional level is changing. I yeah. mean, it, you know, for the better or the for worse, we can debate that for for hours and hours and hours, and neither one of us is going to be right. But, I mean, it's just I think maybe it's time for the Valley League to kind of get in on that a little bit because, you know, it, it's, you know I, I, I'm, I hate hearing the word pace, words pace of play. That doesn't because, bother me. Because that doesn't bother me at all. And I, don't, I do not think it's an issue in the Valley except when you're getting 23 to, you know, 17 games. Well, that's where, naturally going to happen. Yeah, where it's going to happen when you're sending 15 batters to the plate in inning. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, but I think just the other things in terms of, you know, the pitching usage. Uh, you know, do you maybe go with a starter in the Valley League? Or what do they call them? The, 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 the opener. The opener, the opener excuse yeah. me. Do you go with the opener in the Valley League and maybe switch things up that way and maybe throw your your, your Division One studs, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth innings? Where, you know, where, you know, maybe they won't have, they're not going to rack up 80, 90 pitches. And, you know, maybe they'll rack up 40, 50 maybe top them out at 60, 65 or something. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't sit there and I'm not in the business of counting pitches. I mean, what do you think? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, Co- yeah. Co- Cody with a big explanation. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. But, it's, I, I would just, I, I just like, to, I would like to see the ERAs come down a little bit. I like to see the scoring come down. I know this sounds crazy in this day and age, but I'd like to see the run scoring come down a little bit. Hey, there's nothing, nothing wrong with a 3-2, 2-1 game for me. No. I, I love that kind of baseball. It's fundamentals. You lose the fundies a little bit in, in the Valley League, too, I, I think. I, I mean, mean and, that, and, that, and, that, and when they're up 6-1, stand over the turf the other night, their pitchers walk like seven or eight batters. I mean... I just I couldn't manage in that league. I would no. just I would I would I would lose a game. I don't have the patience. I, mean, I don't have I don't have the patience. Uh, though it might it, it might be more therapeutic than watching the Mets. <laughs> I'd come up with a list of three hundred things that's more therapeutic than watching the Mets, man. 
Uh, and so one of them is Baby Shark videos. Well, yeah, I, I, fine. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll see. Just watching those out in the office before we came in. Here. Okay, so that's why that's why you said it. Okay. All right. Uh, anything else you guys need to touch on, or are we good here on this edition? Uh, I think we're good on uh, this Rock edition Town. of the Rock Town Sports Pod. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, it is. All right. Bad. So for 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 Shane, Cody, and Jim, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.